Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. God with God's people again on this wonderful Sunday morning and um, I want to thank Alan again for opening up God's word for us last Sunday to help us think about something that's very very important right spiritual warfare and the realities of the Christian understanding of what we have in Jesus and how we think about evil spirits and things like that and I trust it's been a profitable time for you this week to think through more about that in your gospel community groups, to evaluate what you are really trusting in in those moments as well. Over the last few months, you know that we have taken some time to slow down and think a little bit more about the law of God and the Ten Commandments. The law of God and the Ten Commandments. And we did that so that we can get to know God better. Because the law of God reveals to us what He is like. And what's important to Him. The law helps us understand who the God is to whom we give our devotion, our worship, and our entire lives. And part of the reason why we are studying the law of God is because of all the time we have spent in the book of Galatians. You remember. Almost all of last year we have exegetically, verse by verse, worked our way through the book of Galatians up until chapter 3. And we did that to understand what it means to be justified, to be declared right before God because of what Jesus has done. And the wonderful freedom that gives us as Christians in Christ. And Paul was making his argument that people who know what Jesus did on their behalf in dying in their place because they could not keep the law themselves, that it would be absolutely ridiculous if those who have been set free from the law and the power of sin would go back to living under the law like slaves. Trying to keep the law and somehow think that God's going to be happy with you and accept you based on what you've done. Because we have clearly seen, as we have studied the law, that there is no way, you agree with me, there's no way that any of us can try and keep these commandments on our own and think that our weak efforts and constant failures will make us acceptable before God. None of us have or can keep the law perfectly on our own. Rather, as we've said now so many times again and again, that the law has the purpose to reveal to us our sin. To show us our sin and what it looks like and what we've done and broken what God has said. And how much we truly need Jesus. And those who by God's grace who recognize that, 
who totally place their faith and trust 100% in Jesus, the Bible says you have been set free from the law. You've been set free from a life dominated by sin. Paul said it like this to the church in Rome. Romans 6 verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. You are not under law, but under grace. You see, where the law shows us our sin, and we have to recognize how enslaved we are to sin, the good news in Jesus Christ is, is that by faith in Him, we have been given this new life. Where this overwhelming sense of sin's power in you no longer has a control over you. Those who struggle with idolatry, with authority, who struggle with anger, hatred, who struggle with lust. All of those sins we've seen in the, the Ten Commandments revealed to us by the law, they don't have the same power over us anymore. Because Jesus has set us free. By keeping the law perfectly for us. And the result is now that because of Jesus, we're not under the law anymore, but we're under grace. We're under grace, and all this new grace in our lives causes the Christian to bear fruit. To bear fruit. Because a tree that's alive will grow and bear fruit. The kind of fruit that shows that you have been made a new creation in Him. New creations that love the law of God. Because now as you look at the law, we see it as this profitable tool that helps us see how we can love God more and love our neighbors. Isn't that how Jesus summarized the whole law for us? The law of God being this authoritative guidance that guides us to live holy lives in this unholy world. Living holy lives, knowing that how free we are to live for God's glory, knowing that Jesus did it all for you every single day. And that same understanding applies to the way we're going to look at our passage today. We are looking at the Eighth Commandment. We're looking at the Eighth Commandment in our study of the law, which says in Exodus 20, verse 15, You shall not steal. You shall not steal. And the fruits of a person who has been made new in Christ is that this is a person, not only someone that doesn't take from others, but what we'll see is this is someone that rather becomes crazy generous towards others. Why? Because of understanding all the riches we possess in Jesus Christ. Now, we all know that it's wrong to steal. We all know that it's wrong to take stuff that does not belong to you. 
I remember when I was a kid, I was in this flea market once, and I took a piece of candy from the one store, and I walked out the door without paying for it. But I didn't get very far because my conscience was going ballistic. And it felt, I felt the serious conviction that it was wrong to take this piece of candy that was, what it was worth like 10 cents. And so I dropped it in a basket down the road in another shop. Somehow thinking that at least now I didn't steal all the way. You see, God must tell us not to steal because He knows what's going on in our hearts. In fact, in the chapter that follows, in the giving of the Ten Commandments, Moses gives further commentary on this issue of stealing. This simple command has far-reaching implications. And the rest of the law explains these implications. For example, Exodus 21. There's this issue of kidnapping, where stealing another person or taking him or her by force was something that was punishable by death. Exodus 21.16 says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. Kind of makes you think of Joseph's brothers, who sold him into slavery. Genesis 37, right? Basically, these brothers were breaking the Eighth Commandment. You see how stealing is explained in Exodus 21.22.1. Where if you take someone else's animals and you were caught, you had to pay back five times as much in value. Take one cow, you've got to give back five. Same implication is explained in Leviticus 6. If you rob your neighbor and you realize your guilt, you will pay back five times the value. Because you had to experience consequences for your faith. In other words, you could not just give back what you took. You had to pay more for taking in the first place. Many years later, the prophet Jeremiah shows up and he goes on to explain how people were violating the Eighth Commandment. And he does so by not, he's saying that people are not giving fair wages to their employees. Jeremiah 22.13 Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness. And his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbors serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages. Now we know cheap labor is something that Africa is known for. But it's a form of stealing when this is exploited. In fact, in the New Testament, it says the same thing. James 5 verse 4. Behold, the wages of laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You see, God did not rescue Israel from slavery just so that they can continue doing the very same thing towards other people. And God did not save you in Jesus Christ so that you will continue living in a way that defrauds other people. Rather, what we're going to see today is that living freely in faith means that we don't take from others, we don't defraud others, and most importantly, we don't steal from God. But rather, we are called to be generous. 
We are called to be generous with the resources we have by working hard and being good stewards of what God has already given us. And so we're asking three questions again of the Eighth Commandment. Three questions of the Eighth Commandment. First, what does stealing reveal about what you truly believe? Second, what does stealing look like today? And thirdly, what does a transformed thief look like? So let's start with number one. What does stealing reveal about what you really believe? You see, the very fact that stealing is a sin reveals to us that God has given us things that can be taken by someone else. Right? In other words, God is the one who gives us the right to own stuff. It's clear from the Old Testament that people owned animals, they owned land, they had businesses. And so by implication then, the Eighth Commandment teaches us that people do have private property. We have private property. We do have things that belong to us. A simple example is like the house that I live in. The house that, I, that my family lives in, my, the name of my name and my wife's name is on the deed. So no one else can just come in and take the house away or move in and just live there because they want to. But at the same time, what the Bible makes clear is that God also wants us to recognize that the stuff we do have actually belongs to Him. Everything we possess actually belongs to Him. So it's not so much my house, rather it's God's house, right? James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so whenever we take something that doesn't belong to us, however we do it, we actually sin against God, as well as we sin against our neighbor. We sin against God because we, what stealing ultimately reveals is that, what? You don't trust God. You don't trust that He can give you what you need. So you have to take matters into your own hands. You want the good and perfect gift, but you don't want to wait for it from above. Rather because of what goes on in your heart and whatever circumstances or pressure you might find yourself in, people are willing to take from others to benefit themselves. Which is ultimately a sin against the providence of God. Stealing is sinning against the providential care and control of God. When you're willing to take something that doesn't belong to you, you're basically telling God, I don't think you're in control, God. I don't think that you're really the authority in my life. And it diminishes our view of who He is. I mean, think of the Israel context again, surrounded by all these false, useless gods and idols who can't do anything to provide for people because they don't exist. And then you have the God of all creation who provides for His people exactly what they need because everything belongs to Him in the first place. And so He basically commands His people to depend on Him for that provision, recognizing that He alone is God who owns it all and who freely shares what He has with His people. Psalm 24.1 
The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. It's when we keep that perspective, the right perspective, that God has created everything that we see, that the only logical conclusion can be that everything in creation belongs to Him. Think of Job. Think of the man Job. When Job was hit by disaster after disaster and all his possessions were taken away, how did Job respond? I mean, he must have been thinking something in line with the words of Psalm 24 because he did not complain about his stuff being taken away. He recognized that at the end of the day, all that he had belonged to God. Job 1.21 And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so taking something that does not belong to you, that belongs to someone else, is ultimately stealing from God, because God is the one who gave it to them in the first place. He is the one who orchestrates all the millions of details every single day, every single moment, to provide everything we need to glorify Him. And so instead of denying that God is in control, as new, liberated people in Christ, we have the opportunity to daily exercise our faith in His providential care. But not only does stealing reveal what we believe about God, and how we love God. It also reveals how we love our neighbor, right? If you steal from another person, you do, do you devalue them as someone who has been made in the image of God. I'm not sure if everyone knows this, but recently at the new baby home in Pretoria East, some thieves came in in the early hours of the morning, just last week, and broke open the big security gate outside. And they stole one of the vehicles in the yard. And I remember talking to one of the people living there on the property and they told me that they had the strange feeling of being violated. I'm sure you know what I mean. Maybe yourself have experienced this, where knowing that someone was right there, so close to you, willing to take something from you, makes you feel violated. Even though you didn't even see this person yourself. Knowing that they had the intent to do you harm. And this is because stealing always affects other people. There's never a harmless kind of stealing, no matter how big or how small. I mean, just consider the classic example from the Old Testament, right? Achan. You guys remember the story of Achan? He's one of the troops involved with the marching around the, the walls of Jericho to see how God would help them bring down those walls so they could invade the city. All the troops were commanded by Joshua to then take control of the city and leave the stuff in there to God. Everything in there belonged to God. And then he says specifically in Joshua 6.18 and following, But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction. Lest when you have devoted them, and you take any of the devoted things, and make a camp of Israel a thing for destruction, and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold, and every vessel of bronze and iron, are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. After the walls came down, 
Everything was devoted to destruction. But then you have this one guy, Achan, going through the rubble. And his heart was captured by all the silver and gold and fancy labeled clothing that was lying all over the place. And I'm sure at this stage he had all these different ideas going through his mind, justifying what he's about to do. I mean, he was a soldier who gave his life to this mission. Surely he could be rewarded by a few things here and there. What's the harm in taking one or two things? I mean, there's so much of this fancy stuff lying all over the place. No one really will notice. And so Achan started to think about how he could smuggle some of the treasure back to his tent. And eventually he decided to just do it. Joshua 7.21 He grabbed a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. And so he stole the stuff that he was commanded not to take. He went back to his tent, dug a hole in the ground, and covered it up. According to him, this is going to be his little secret. But not long after this, this theft, the consequences became evident. And it impacted the whole nation. Because as they were getting ready for the next battle, which seemed like it should be a walk in the park, Israel was actually defeated. And Joshua couldn't understand why. And so he falls down on his knees and he cries out to God. Joshua 7.10 The Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy devoted things from among you. And so it's clear, Achan's sin was never, was never just going to impact his own life. It was going to impact his neighbor. He was coveting and loving the value of having these material things more than valuing and loving his neighbor. And Israel would keep losing in battle until this issue was resolved. But clearly, this also impacted their relationship with God. Because what does God say here at the end? He says, I will be with you no more. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. And I'm sure Achan thought that out of all these people, there's no way he's going to get caught. What are the odds, right? There are these gazillion soldiers out here What are the chances of him getting caught? But under the providence of God, Joshua and the other leaders called out family name after family name, and eventually they found the thief. And because of loving earthly things more than God, and more than his neighbor, failing to trust God and what he has said, Achan was stoned to death. And the sad irony of it all was that there was never an opportunity for him to even enjoy the stuff that he had taken. Achan was guilty of breaking the Eighth Commandment. And God's justice came down on him. 
God clearly said, the spoils of war belong to me. And Achan thought to himself, I want some of that for myself. And it had consequences for everyone. And like many people still today, his heart reveals what we see. And now one man summarizes it so well. He says, my benefit is of more significance than your harm. My having this is more important than any regard that I may have for you. And irrespective of the impact of what I do upon your life, I feel free to devalue you. Stealing reveals a lack of trust in God. And it reveals a lack of love for God and your neighbor. It reveals the selfishness and greed that goes on in the heart where people take matters into their own hands. And so we are forced to ask the next question. What does stealing look like today? What does stealing look like today? The word for stealing in the original context is the word ganaf. And the word ganaf helps us see the extent of what is involved with the sin of stealing. It covers a range of ways where people steal from each other, like burglary. When someone breaks in to steal your stuff. Or a robbery where people use violence and intimidation to take from others. The word covers also things like shoplifting and pickpocketing and extortion and embezzlement. But the rest of the Bible helps to shed some light on this problem today. Let me try and list a few for you. See if these make sense. Firstly, you are stealing when you borrow something from someone and you don't give it back. Let me say that again. You are stealing when you borrow something from someone and you don't give it back. Psalm 37, 21 says, The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. I mean, sometimes this happens intentionally and sometimes unintentionally. But according to the Bible, if there's a, a permanent kind of borrowing going on, we have no intention to return to people their possessions or, or pay them back what they've borrowed you. You're stealing from them. The same can be said about other commitments you make. When you made a promise to pay a certain bill, but then you delay that payment, which means you're basically stealing from that company. Not keeping that commitment. Next, you're stealing when you're cheating other people by being sneaky. Cheating other people by being sneaky. One scholar explains that in the Old Testament times, merchants in Israel used scales to measure grain, gold and silver and all these other commodities. Dishonest merchants would have two sets of weights. They would have one set that was this accurate set, which they used when they didn't want to cheat themselves. But they also had this false set which they used to, to cheat others. And that became such a common thing that the prophet Amos had to talk about this coming day of bitter mourning, where these cheaters who are stealing from the poor will be judged for what they did. That's Amos 8, verses 5 and 6. But, I mean, this happens in so many ways today. One way it made me think about it is, I'm not sure if you guys have ever fallen prey to this, where you've bought something online, and this advert looked great, but then when it shows up, it's not quite the thing you paid for, is it? That's a kind of stealing. 
But now listen to this next one. Another way to consider when people are stealing is when they misuse their employer's time and resources. When you misuse your employer's time and resources. This is those who are taking those sick days when you're not sick. When you take some supplies from the office and you use it for yourself. Because you think no one's going to notice. Or maybe being on social media for hours and hours when in fact you should be working. I mean, I just think of this whole COVID situation again when there are so many people now working from home. How easy it is not to work as hard as you should because your boss or your co-workers are not looking over your shoulder. And so basically you're stealing when you don't do your work as you should. In Titus chapter 2.10, Paul pretty much says to Titus that they should teach the people not to steal or withhold any of what they should be doing. In fact, the, the ESV has this word pilfering in there. Because that means they should rather be someone that is trustworthy, a testimony of the gospel, and how the gospel has changed the way they work. And so you ask yourself, would my employer... See me as someone that is totally trustworthy. Another form of stealing. Number four is when we are simply wasting other people's resources. When we are simply wasting other people's resources. There's this parable in the book of Luke in chapter 16 where the the manager of this wealthy man is accused of wasting his boss's resources. And the same happens today. For example, when people don't look after other people's property simply because they're not the ones who own it. Very common when people rent from other people, isn't it? Anyone who has the privilege to own a property and rent it out to other people will know what I'm talking about. There's this joke that people often make when it comes to rental cars. I'm not sure if you heard this one. Where people ask, what car can do 180 kilometers an hour on a dirt road? The obvious answer is the rental. Why? Because people have no care, no disregard for other people's things. Because it doesn't directly affect you. That is not loving your neighbor and that is a way of stealing. By looking after someone else's property on behalf of God is a witness of your love for them. Number five, people steal when they lie about what really happened. You steal when you lie about what really happened. How tempting is it for people to tell the insurance company something different from what actually happened? Because they're afraid the insurance company won't cover their claim. Instead of trusting God and being truthful and being a faithful witness, people are tempted to twist the facts ever so slightly because they're scared of the implications this would have for them financially. But this is defrauding other people. This is stealing from other people. Number six, people steal when they use other people's work as their own. Maybe this is a bit more common. This stretches from things like intellectual property where you take someone else's ideas and you use it for your own advantage. Or where you use copyrighted material and use it without paying for it. 
Or when you do school assignments and use other people's work and present it as your own. There are many, many examples we continue to give, but one I really want to mention to you now that is so important that ties in with two weeks ago, with the seventh commandment is you steal from other people when you disregard their purity. You steal from other people when you disregard their purity. Because God has made us in His image and we are to protect the intimate purity that He has given to us. But when you disregard someone else's purity through being unfaithful or sexually immoral, you take something that can't be given back. Purity is a treasured, God-given possession that should be protected at all costs. But if you think you're not applying to any of these yet, this last one, I'm sure it's going to get you. You steal because when you don't give back to God. You steal from God when you don't give back to God. Look at Malachi 3 verse 8. Malachi 3 verse 8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. What the prophet is saying is that we actually rob God. We steal from God when we don't give back to Him. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this wonderful motivation from Philippians 4, why we should give generously to the work of the kingdom and the mission of the local church. This is the opposite of that. If we are not giving, then in fact, we are stealing. I want to take that thought a step further again as well. Because this hasn't just to do with money. When we don't give our time, our talents, our God-given abilities for the good of others, in a sense, you're also stealing from God. You are robbing God of the glory that He deserves. You're robbing God from the glory that he, what He deserves when you're not doing the good works that He has prepared for you. We are robbing God of the glory that He deserves when we think selfishly of our own desires. And so what we see from all these brief examples, and there are many, many more we can talk about, is that stealing happens a lot, a lot more than we might think. It's a lot closer to home than just the obvious examples of someone breaking in and stealing a car. And being a thief who has a lack of trust in God is not consistent with someone who has been given so much in Jesus Christ. Which has to bring us to our final question. What does a converted thief look like? What does a converted thief look like? Another great example we have from the Bible is, is of someone we know as, who was a selfish cheat. Who didn't mind stealing from others for his own gain. But then this amazing change took place in his life. Of course I'm talking about Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Zacchaeus was working for other people who had authority in the community. And he was one of the chief tax collectors who was known to be wealthy. 
And of course, he wasn't very popular amongst the people. The locals didn't have any regard for him because he, he was earning his riches off the back of their hard work. He was like a professional extortioner. And he heard this famous man was coming to town. He wanted to get close to this new celebrity named Jesus. And so he climbs up a sycamore tree to get a better view. Because he wasn't a very tall man. And providentially again, Jesus stops right under that very tree. Giving Zacchaeus the very best seat in the house. But we know this was no coincidence, was it? No coincidence. Because then Jesus looks up at him and he says in Luke 19.6, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. Now imagine you're Zacchaeus. Here's Jesus, the one who came into the world to set those enslaved to sin free, looking up at you and says, I must come to your house. How would you respond to such an invitation? There can only be one response. Yes, Jesus, you must come to my house. And the Pharisees were beside themselves because they, why in the world would Jesus want to go to a guy who's been stealing from everyone? And it must have been this amazing conversation because it led to this amazing conversion. Because after encountering Jesus, Zacchaeus was a different man. The thief was converted. Luke 19.8 And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of the goods I have, I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So the point I want you to see is that when Zacchaeus realized that he needed Jesus and that he was breaking God's law as a thief, he became a new man. And not just any new man, a generous new man. Willing to pay back fourfold what he has taken and how he's defrauded other people. And that is what a converted thief looks like. He becomes someone that understands the riches he possesses in Christ and that he has a responsibility to manage what he has and share that with other people. And so we can say that every believer is essentially converted from a life of taking and is made into someone that lives a life of giving. Paul said this to the church in Ephesians. Ephesians 4.28 Let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. God's solution to a life of taking is true conversion. True conversion that trusts God's plan for provision. Which leads to a life of working hard so that you can be a blessing to other people. 1 Thessalonians 4 basically says the same thing where Paul instructs the church to, to work hard as a witness of your new life in Christ. 
so that you are not dependent on anyone else, but actually dependent on God. Provides for those who work hard so they can be a source of provision to others. And yes, maybe you are in the process of looking for work, but you can still work at looking for work and trust God providentially in that process. That is why gambling does not make sense, church. Do you recognize that? Gambling seeks the, the, the good gifts without doing the good work. So think about it. The whole idea of gambling or, or playing the lotto is that you do harm to your neighbor because the whole thing is designed that everyone will lose except maybe one. It's not trusting God for the provision you need. It's sinning against the providence of God because essentially you want to force His providence into your own favor. And so part of what we see here is that working hard is actually a privilege. Working hard is actually a privilege. Getting up at 5 a.m. to get to work is something that brings glory to God. Catching three taxis or, or buses to get to work so that you can work hard to provide for others brings glory to God. But not only is the converted thief someone that is hardworking and generous like Zacchaeus, it is someone that is a good steward of the resources that God has already given them. As we have said, whatever we possess is God's property. And He has given us the sacred trust to looking after it. And this is the way it's ever been since the beginning. Adam actually didn't own any property in the beginning. He was only given stuff to manage. Genesis 2.15 The Lord... God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. I like how Calvin puts it. He summarizes it so well for us here. He says, The custody of the garden was given in charge to Adam to show that we possess the things which God has committed to our hands on the condition that being content with a frugal and moderate use of them, we should take care of what shall remain. That this economy and this diligence with respect to those good things which God has given to us to enjoy may flourish among us. Let everyone regard himself as the steward of God in all things which he possesses. Then he will neither conduct himself dissolutely nor corrupt by abuse of those things which God requires to be preserved. In other words... Like Adam, we are called to be good stewards of what God has made and given to us to enjoy. We have to take care of what we have. I recently had a struggle with with this. For years I've been delaying painting the wooden frames at my house, and my wife has been warning me about this. And two of them actually broke now because the rainy season came, and they broke, and I didn't seal them before the rain came. I could have made a better plan to take care of what God has entrusted to me. So I need to learn from that situation. And I think many of us must learn from situations like these in our lives. Because wherever we waste money and resources on things that could have been used for something greater like the kingdom, it's a kind of stealing. But you know what? Just as Zacchaeus climbed the sycamore tree, Jesus climbed the tree of Calvary. Verse 
And do you remember who was hanging right next to him? Two thieves were hanging next to Jesus, which means Jesus was treated like a common thief. Nailed to a cross for thieves and those who waste God's resources. Experiencing God's judgment like Achan did. But not because he stole anything, because we stole from God. And if we turn from a life of selfishness, a life of being sneaky and cheating here and there, thinking no one sees it, a life of taking, a life of distrust in God's sovereign providence, and put your faith in the one who became a thief for you, then like the guy who was hanging next to Jesus, you are guaranteed paradise. And if you have been guaranteed paradise, why would you want to take from anyone else? The Eighth Commandment calls us to evaluate. To evaluate what we really trust and who we really trust. It calls us to evaluate how we work and why we work. In other words, the Christian view and motivation for work should be different from that of the world, right? The world works so that it can just get more stuff, more holidays, more comfortable life. And sometimes the Christians do exactly the same. They work with the same mindset and think that the more they work, the more they deserve. Focusing on their own desires. But if we look at God's law and His Word and how Jesus transforms the way we think about work, it changes the way we, we love Him and love others and the way we work. Because we go with the right motivation to work, wanting to care for others. The Eighth Commandment calls us to evaluate if we are truly good stewards. Good stewards of the resources we have already been given in Jesus Christ. Let us pray that God continues to help us see how free we are in Christ to truly think differently from the world around us, to trust Him daily by faith in those moments when the pressure is on to want to succumb to cheating or lying or stealing. To rather say, no, I trust in Jesus and His providential care and that He has given His whole life so that I can be set free from taking from others. Let's pray and thank God for the gospel. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. As we look at that scene at Calvary, seeing our Savior hanging between two thieves, He's hanging there for me. He's hanging there for us. He's hanging there for the ones who recognize they have stolen. They've robbed God of His glory. They've taken from others and devalued others. And so, Father, it's only once we see ourselves there, embracing the true gift that is the whole life of Jesus, the one who perfectly kept the law for us, that we can see how free we are now to live as generous people. Joyfully, generously, sacrificing for the good of others. Changing the motivations we have to even go to work. To want to serve and to want to give. Thank you that you are a generous God. That your blessings and your mercy overflows through Jesus Christ into our lives. 
Help us to be good stewards of the resources we have in Christ. Thank you for the gift of the church. Thank you for the gift of community. Thank you for the gift of being able to love each other the way you've called us to love. And thank you for your law. Your law that reveals to us in our hearts where maybe we have violated even this commandment this week. And so thank you that once again we can turn to Jesus Christ and look at His perfect righteousness given to us in His death and resurrection. And so we cling to that by faith. In Jesus' name, Amen.